We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com, your home for everything Lakers. This is the LakersNation.com live postgame show. The Lakers, ah, unfortunately, they fall 117 to 110 to the San Antonio Spurs. Not what we were hoping for, especially coming off of all the momentum, all the excitement from LeBron's 56-point performance against the Golden State Warriors, only to find out no LeBron James in this one tonight against San Antonio. Dealing with knee soreness, still something that there is going to be lingering throughout the season. It's just about managing it. But man, is this a, a tough blow for a game like this. And this is something that, you know, we've talked about this in the past, but it's not just injuries. It's not just injuries that can impact your season and impact your team. It's when those injuries occur, which game specifically that players are out for matters. See, LeBron earlier in the season, he missed the final few games of a, a Lakers road trip. It caused them to lose some games that they probably wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, the, the one that stands out to me is one against the Charlotte Hornets, where they, I think they had LeBron, they pick up the win, and they didn't. And so they they lost that game. And that was a, a really good Russell Westbrook game, that one that, um, that they had against Charlotte. And then this one tonight, this is a W. This is a win if LeBron's playing and having him not out there flips it to a loss. That's a problem. See, if, if LeBron is out, let's say his knee is bugging him when they're playing the Suns or when they're playing, I don't know, the Heat or sitting on top of the East right now. You're playing a top-tier team? All right. Probably doesn't change the outcome. But no LeBron against the Spurs specifically when you look at the Lakers' schedule the rest of the way. When you look at some of the teams that are there and you understand how important beating the teams that you can beat, how important that is, especially as we close out the season, missing LeBron for this one becomes extra damaging. For example, I mean, if we look at the Lakers' upcoming schedule, obviously they've got Houston coming up. That's that's definitely a winnable game, certainly. And, and Frank Vogel did express hope that LeBron could be uh, ready to go for that one. But then after that, you know, they've got a, a meeting with the Suns coming up. Like LeBron misses a game with the Suns. Okay. All right. You're you're probably okay there. Probably doesn't change the outcome of that game. But missing a game against San Antonio again becomes extra damaging because you are flipping a loss 
or win into a loss. So tough one tonight for the Lakers, but we've got a lot to get into. We'll talk a little bit about what, what Russ Westbrook did. I know, I know, I see it in the chat already. There is a lot of frustration with Lakers head coach Frank Vogel. We're going to talk a bit more about that one. We'll talk about the play-in tournament, where that's going. Uh, big lineups versus small lineups. I've got a lot of people talking about that right now, so we're going to get into all of that. Um, if you're coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitter, welcome. I'm going to take a lot of your questions and comments today. As you can see, it is a solo show, but never really just me here. It's me and all of you again out there coming in from YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. So fire off your comments. Timothy Lovas from YouTube said, LeBron plays, we win. Also, why would the 76ers sign DJ? Timothy, first of all, yes, I, I completely agree with you as I was just explaining. Thank you for the super chat. Uh, why would the 76ers sign DJ? I think a lot of it has to do with Doc Rivers. He's already got that relationship built up, built in with DeAndre Jordan. They need another big body behind Joel Embiid. And so they figured, let's go for it. DeAndre Jordan didn't work in Brooklyn, didn't work with the Lakers. Doc is saying, hey, maybe I need you for 10 minutes tonight. DJ's still a big body to throw in there. I don't think there's any evidence to suggest it's going to work there either, but it's somebody that Doc is familiar with and comfortable with. Just like, DJ Augustine, the other DJ, is a player that Frank Vogel is familiar with and comfortable with because he's coached him several times now in the past. So sometimes coaches do that, and so it's not a surprise that Doc Rivers went and got uh, went and got DeAndre Jordan. Maddie James from YouTube, why was there no sign of Gabriel? Why did we sign him if we're not going to use him? When you Gabriel, look, I, I agree, and I think that there are... There's some people out there right now who are complaining about no Dwight Howard. I didn't think Dwight Howard was was great in this game, but, and Javante's Gallo, thank you for the, the super chat. No question there, but thank you. Um, there's some people that are complaining. No Dwight Howard in this game down the stretch. Why would they not play him? All that. And look, again, I thought Dwight wasn't great tonight, but you still saw a lot of moments where the Lakers were just at such a size disadvantage. I mean, they started Dwight Howard and four guards. That's the start of this. So let, me, let me go through this here. Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard is what? 6'10", 6'11", right, right in there. Um, he was always a guy that he was never a true seven-footer, but he was a guy that just was so athletic that it didn't matter. Well, now you've got Dwight as an aging veteran. And don't get me wrong, nothing against Dwight. Uh, but he's not a true seven-footer out there. And then you've got Russ, who's 6'2", 6'3". Malik Monk, 6'2", 6'3". Taylor Horton Tucker, 6'4". Austin Reeves, 6'4", 6'5", right in there, 6'5"-ish. That's your lineup. That's your lineup around Dwight Howard. That's a problem because you've got guys that are masquerading as wings, and now you've got guys who are masquerading as power forwards, as a four, that don't have the size. Don't have the size to do the things that you need them to do. So when you pull LeBron out, you don't have LeBron anymore. Replacing him with Taylor Horton Tucker when you're already at a size disadvantage across most of the positions on the floor, that just compounds the problem. So I was a little bit surprised. My thought was that, okay, LeBron's out. Even though his skill set isn't a match for LeBron, you probably replace him with Stanley Johnson just so you get the size out there on the floor and you have somebody who is a little bit more, a little bit sturdier to be a four if you're going to run Dwight as your five, which I expected when LeBron was out. So I was a bit surprised that he went with Taylor Horton Tucker there. Austin Reeves, Malik Monk, Russell Westbrook, skill set wise, look size wise. Okay, that's rough, but skill wise, yeah, you kind of had to have them on the floor. I was surprised it wasn't Stanley Johnson joining that group. And then you can say, 
why not Wenyan Gabriel? Look, if you're concerned about the versatility of the Spurs players, you're concerned about their speed, uh, their switchability, you're concerned about, okay, are, are we going to have a guy who can close out to the three-point line and go go close out on Doug McDermott or Keldon Johnson or, or one of those guys? We want to not go with just Dwight, who's this kind of plodding big. Yeah, that, that, that situation is screaming for Wenyan Gabriel. And I know he doesn't have a lot of experience with the team, but guess what? Guess what? The Lakers tonight started their 32nd different starting lineup. This is their 64th game of the season. It was their 32nd difference. That means every other game, they're changing their starting five to one they've never used before. That is absurd. That's ridiculous. And part of that speaks to how many injuries they've had this season. Don't that's that is 100% a thing. It's the injuries that have caused so much shuffling. But there's an element of this too that is just Frank Vogel constantly mixing things up, trying to find something, anything that works. So if that's the case, if you're throwing out there a starting five who has never started a game together before, why not toss in a Wenyan Gabriel if his skill set fits? Or heck, even a, even Trevor Ariza, we've seen not have great success, but you needed some kind of size that you could put on the floor. I thought that really hurt the Lakers tonight not having at least a few bigger players out on the floor. So that's my my take on it. Benjamin Mason, you skipped my first chat at the beginning, LOL. Sorry, I may have missed it. Hit me with it again if I if I missed it. I tried to grab a few as they went through, but then I went on uh, a little rant there. Somebody said, when, when in Gabriel 6'9". Yeah, I mean, that's that's the benefit of him, right? That's, that's why you go and you get a guy like Wenyan Gabriel is because he's got the ability to float between the four and perhaps the five, right? I mean, it's not ideal to have them defending fives, but still it would make sense to at least give him a shot in there, particularly when you're getting hurt on, on the offensive glass. That I thought that was a problem for the Lakers this season. Uh, on the season, it's been a problem, and it especially was a problem tonight. All right, let me get into a few more of your super chats. There is no real 360 award because Russell Westbrook was the only of the, the Lakers stars to play. No LeBron, no Anthony Davis. And I guess let, let's just talk about that. Let's talk about Russ. So Russell Westbrook in this game, I thought, and this was another thing where if we want to look back at, and if we want to look at Frank Vogel and question what he's doing here, Russell Westbrook started the game off ball. Very first possession of the game, in fact. Who was orchestrating the offense? Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves was the guy with the ball in his hands. And I like Austin Reeves a lot. I think he's been a find. I think we need to talk a little bit tonight about Monk and Austin Reeves and how that pairing works because I do like some things that you get there. But you saw Russ a little bit more off the ball. It was almost like Frank Vogel, the coaching staff, they just said, well, you know what? We're trying to get Russ acclimated to being more off ball because that's what he's doing when LeBron's on the floor. Let's just, let's continue that. Let's continue that. And just see how it goes. Let's let's continue to so we're not yo-yoing Russ back and forth into these different roles. No, no, you can't do that. This is exactly the scenario that you got Russell Westbrook for, right? Is for when LeBron's out, you can give him the ball and you can say, look, Russ, just go. Just go, just go, do your thing. I'm gonna cover my eyes, and whatever happens, happens. It might be beautiful chaos. It might completely sink us, but one way or another, you know, Russell Westbrook's going to go out there and he's going to do things. He's going to make things happen. And we saw him get unleashed a little bit in the second half. And I thought he became a much bigger impact as a decision maker in terms of his passing, his ability to attack the basket. I thought he was pretty good on the boards. This is the kind of game 
where, I mean, we've been hearing it all season. Let Russ be Russ. This is the kind of game where you go to Russ before the game and you say, do you. Just go do you, and wherever you take us, that's where we're going. This is why you got him. Why run him off the ball in a scenario like this, where LeBron and AD are out? On a normal night, LeBron's playing. You can argue, why are we putting the ball in Russell Westbrook's hands so much? LeBron James is a much more efficient offense or, uh, option. Of course. Of course. On a night like tonight, if you're taking the ball out of Westbrook's hands, are you putting it into the hands of an option that is more efficient or has the ability to do any of the shot-creating things that you need done? Now, maybe we can make an argument for Malik Monk, but I think that is, at the very least, a much more level playing field in terms of option B or C compared to Westbrook probably isn't much of an improvement, if an improvement at all. Typically, LeBron's on the floor and it's, well, yeah, why give the ball to Russ when LeBron's there, right? That makes sense. In a game like this, this is you give the ball to Russ and you say, just go, just go, you do your thing. And so I was a little disappointed early on when we saw Russ off the ball a lot, which might be what he's a little bit more familiar with right now, but you got to worry about winning this game tonight. And in order to do that, you need Russell Westbrook to be the best player on the floor. And the only way that's going to happen is if you give him the basketball and you let him just go. And it might not work. It could wind up shooting you in the foot. You don't know. You don't know. You could get a bad performance out of Russ, but you might also get a great performance. And that's what you're betting on when you do that. And that's what had to happen coming into this game and didn't happen. Uh, Tony, Vogel didn't use the uh, all personnel. I think Westbrook should have been pulled out the closing minutes for Monk. The team's finding a way to lose. I didn't see much else in terms of who was going to create for the Lakers uh, when Westbrook was out. I mean, you could say Monk may have a little bit, but I really liked the pressure that Westbrook was putting when he was attacking. Now, look, I'm not saying this was just this brilliant performance by Russ because it wasn't. It wasn't. Frankly, I probably would have been looking for a little bit more from him. He, on the night, 5 for 14 shooting. That's not great. 7 for 13 from the free throw line. That's not great. But 10 boards, 6 assists, 3 offensive boards. He did have 5 turnovers. The fouls, I think, were a bit of an issue. 5 fouls in this one. Picked up 3 uh, pretty early in the game. 17 points. But like I said, this is the kind of game where you're just you're going to live and die with whatever it is that Russ brings you. Because otherwise, you know, you know if Russ isn't superstar, top-tier level Russell Westbrook, you're probably losing that game anyway. So I'm putting the ball in his hands and letting him go if I had to make that decision. Somebody said, Trevor, are you going to place any blame on Vogel? That's literally what we're saying right now, that if I was Frank Vogel, I would have put the ball in the hands of Russell Westbrook and said, go, do, do your thing out there, be Russ, go out there, cook, do whatever you can do to get us that W. This is, this, this is look, no stops here. You've got the green light attack, try to get things going for us on the offensive end, hit open teammates, and let's go. We're going to go as far as Westbrook carries us. And that, I think, was what the Lakers needed to do in this game. And I didn't see, I saw more of it in the second half, but not as much of it in the first half. Somebody said Westbrook didn't seem like himself. Yeah, I mean, some of that was scheme-wise. In the first half, we saw him again off the ball a little bit more than I would have liked to have seen. All right. Let's get into a few more of your super chats here. I am going to get into the next man up as well, because we got to talk about that. We got to talk about that. Uh, Jared Chalker, insert water boy meme. Oh no, we suck again. LOL. Yeah, I know. I know. Brian B. 
says LeBron has been having so-called knee issues since before All-Star and has been on the injury report every great game since the All-Star break. Very suspect. Um, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't think, and you saw LeBron rocking the hoodie and the sunglasses and, and he was munching on some popcorn on the sideline and everything. Look, LeBron wants to play. LeBron wants to win games. I don't think LeBron would sit out just, just for sitting out. I, I haven't gotten that sense that LeBron is, that he's either the type of person or this season have I gotten the sense that he would ever sit out a game just because he feels like sitting out. I, I don't think that's the case. If LeBron's dealing with knee soreness, I think if there's any way for him to play, he's going to play. He's going to play. I'm not, I wouldn't question that LeBron actually is dealing with knee soreness. I don't think it's something that would, um, that he would just make up. I, I don't see that happening, especially on the heels of dropping 56 points. People are going to be looking for him to have another big game. And then of course he wasn't able to go in this one. Hopefully he's back for the next game, but this is something that, especially because this isn't really out of the blue. This is something that we've heard from the get-go from for weeks now we've been hearing that yeah the knee is still sore and it's going to flare up at times and so maybe it's not a surprise that after a 56 point output where he had to really get leaned on that the knee was bugging him afterwards nick t with a super chat says vogel lost this game didn't use howard in the fourth quarter when the spurs were getting scoring and shot opportunities austin reeves was six straight from the field didn't get two shot attempts in the second half shaking my head yeah i mean look i i didn't like a lot of what we saw on the offensive end. And you can say Dwight, you could say Wenyan Gabriel, you can say somebody with some more size probably needed to be out there for the Lakers. And I'm in agreement with that. That's one that I that I put on Vogel. At least you got to try it. You got to try giving yourself the ability to compete from a size standpoint. Um, as far as Austin Reeves goes, yeah, I mean, the Lakers offense in general, my goodness, how just cumbersome did the offense look anytime they had to play in the half court? especially if Russ wasn't on the floor, it looked like they really just couldn't figure out how to get to the shots that they wanted. And there were some possessions where I thought, oh my, they, they, they're not even sure what shot they want right now. They're not sure what they're working towards. There's no concept of this is the type of shot we're trying to generate right now. It was just give this guy the ball, see if he can make something happen. Sometimes it was THT, just dump it off to him and see what happens there. And I thought he had a nice play in the fourth quarter. He got the block and then came down and hit a three. That was great. But before that, I didn't think he was having a great game. So, yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of disappointment all around in terms of the Lakers on the offensive end of the floor, whether we want to look at, you know, is that just Vogel's rotations? Is that scheme? Is that the players themselves individually? Overall, whatever it is combining, it, it just looked sloppy. It looked sloppy. It looked like a lot of guys were out of sorts. And that puts a lot of pressure on the defense because the only time the Lakers really looked comfortable with the ball in their hands on the offensive end was when they were in transition. And the only way to do that is to get stops. And so then that's putting all that pressure of, hey, we really have to get stops and we got to get live ball stops so we can fuel our offense that way because the half court offense can't seem to get it done. So that's asking a lot of your defense and the Lakers have not been a very good defensive team, especially now without LeBron and Anthony Davis, that's going to be a real challenge for them. Uh, Jason Irguile says, can we talk about Mello's effort on defense and Monk and Reeves chemistry adding Braun and AD would be great. Yeah. Look, as much as I talk about, okay, the defense wasn't great in this one. 
leave Carmelo Anthony out of that discussion. I thought this was a nice performance from Carmelo. He really competed on both ends of the floor. We even saw the little behind-the-back move. It looked like, you know, 32-year-old Carmelo Anthony out there instead of 37-year-old. Carmelo did some nice things for the Lakers. And then on defense, the quick hands, getting steals, getting blocks up top, things of that nature. I thought we saw a really nice performance out of Carmelo Anthony. So that was great to see. Carmelo on the night finishes with 17 points, seven boards, one assist, two blocks, one of four from deep, six of 12 shooting overall. Did have four turnovers, and he had two in a row that I thought were pretty bad. And this was right when it looked, you know, you're right in kind of, it was about the seven-minute range left in the fourth quarter. Maybe it was about eight, right in there. That's That tends to be somewhere between that and the five-minute mark. That tends to be when the Lakers beat themselves. Um, and that just happened to be when Carmelo Anthony had two turnovers where, and when I say beat themselves, I mean, they make mistakes that you wouldn't expect them to make turnover, unforced turnovers. We saw, in fact, I think we saw and during that stretch, three turnovers and four possessions. And that really, that put the Spurs ahead by quite a bit. Uh, I think it surged to a nine point lead. And that was essentially the game right there. The Lakers have a knack for doing this. And I've characterized this as finding ways to lose games throughout the season. Um, you see these teams that just kind of, you don't know how, but at the end of the game, they somehow wind up up one or two points and they walk away with the win, even though you felt like they got outplayed. There's teams that find ways to win games. The Lakers seems like, okay, they're right there. They're they're just about ready to, to get over the top here and get the win. And then they'll just string together three or four turnovers in a row. They'll miss a defensive rotation, like all stuff that's just self-inflicted. And next thing you know, that's it. The game slipped away and, and they're done. As a team, whatever whatever this is, they've had this habit of finding ways to lose games. And I think that, again, unfortunately, Carmelo Anthony was part of it. For the game, I thought he was just fine. But that stretch reared its ugly head once again when we saw, I believe it was three turnovers in four offensive possessions for the Lakers. That, that, that stretch pretty much sealed it that the Lakers were not going to get the win. Uh, Javantes Gallo, the super chat. Thank you. Said the Lakers rely on LeBron and AD way too much. It's going to run them into the ground. This is why a team like the Clippers are good. They don't look at PG and, and AD to save them. We need depth. I think it'd be PG and Kawhi. Yeah, the Lakers. So the Lakers sacrificed a lot of their depth in order to get Russell Westbrook. I mean, they sent out again, essentially to get Russell Westbrook, you sent out Montrezl Harrell. Okay. He's probably going to be gone anyway. Kyle Kuzma, KCP. So there's two good depth pieces right there, right? In in KCP and Kuzma, Trez, I think, is certainly a serviceable player, but you still lost him in order to go get Russell Westbrook. They probably would have been moving him in another deal. He wasn't super happy with the Lakers. Okay, so maybe he's not a huge part of the equation. But then it also cost you, I think, in re-signing Alex Caruso. If you didn't have Westbrook's contract on the books, you're probably quite a bit more willing to spend on a guy like Caruso, who is also a good rotation player, giving you that depth. Now, the flip side of it is that, hey, if Russ is, if you get high-level all-star performance out of Russell Westbrook for most of the season, well, that probably makes up for not having some of that depth. Probably, and the Lakers were hoping it would make up for not having that depth, and then some. We haven't gotten that for much of the season, and then nights like tonight, where you're hoping, okay, if Russell Westbrook can be the best player on the floor, then the Lakers can maybe still walk away with a win in this one, even without LeBron, and I don't think he was, and I'm not putting that all on Russ. Again, I think some of that was scheme from Frank Vogel, but... 
Russ has a role in it too. I mean, Russ did what seven for 13 at the, at the free throw line. That's not getting it done. Five for 14 shooting. That's not going to get it done. Um, again, it wasn't a terrible performance for us, but was he the best player on the floor? Like the Lakers needed him to be. No, I don't, I think DeJounte Murray was very clearly the best player on the floor. So on nights like tonight, if you don't get that superstar level of Russ, that's where you look back and say, man, ah, not having that depth really hurts because you don't have that other true star to really get going. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's see what else we've got going here. Avi B, size for position. Uh, Russ DJ monk lineup can't defend anyone yeah yeah i mean if you're if that is your three guards that are together if it's russ monk and dj first of all on the offensive end uh, you can make an argument for that you can say look monk and dj can both shoot they can handle the ball they can act as secondary creators off of russ even russ can be a secondary creator off of say monk can you put you can put him in a pick and roll okay that makes sense defensively you're going to get lit up you're going to get lit up. And Russ, I think he does a great job on the boards. He always has. Uh, he, does a, he does a nice job there. But are you going to rely on Monk and DJ to box out? No, probably not. So putting those three together is tough. Now, again, Frank Vogel's options are very limited right now. But <laughs> you went and signed a guy like Wenyan Gabriel to give you that kind of versatility. What, what is it going to hurt to throw him out there and, and find out? Or heck, even, even Dwight Howard. Somebody said DJ's like 5'9 on a good day. Yeah, I think he's listed at 5'11. He's not. He's not big. He's not big. Uh, West Trueblood, Russ played defense horribly. Yeah, I mean, that's... I'm not even talking about that end of the floor with Russ, but that's kind of par for the course. That's just what you get out of him night to night on defense. He's okay individually and one-on-one. -on -one, like his, the man he's guarding has the ball and he's got to really D him up. Then, okay. Sometimes you can see him really accept the challenge and go, but he makes a lot of off-ball mistakes, and that's that's pretty pretty glaring. Matty James, I don't get why we haven't been giving Reeves more minutes from earlier in the season. He can shoot, play defense, put the ball on the floor, hustles for loose balls. What more do you want? Agreed. I, I think a lot of this has been the rookie tax with Austin Reeves. I, I think we've seen that with the officiating as well, where officials haven't given, given him calls because I think he's a rookie. But uh, Austin Reeves... He's, a, he's just a nice fit with just about anybody. You can plug him into just about any lineup and you can expect him to go out there and be successful, whether it's defending the other team's 
best perimeter player, whether it's just making smart reads on the offensive end, he can do all those things. And I think that's part of why he combines well with Malik Monk, who can be this just flammable offensive player, right? He just catches fire and Malik Monk can, can power you. That's not Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves is going to be the steady guy, right? You know, every possession defensively, he's going to be in the right spots. He's going to compete hard on that end. Malik Monk might miss a few rotations on that end. On the offensive end, Austin Reeves is going to be the guy who makes the right cut at the right time, makes the hustle play. Malik Monk's going to be the guy who crosses a guy over a few times and hits a step back three. So they're they really, their their strengths and weaknesses complement each other pretty well. And so that pairing, I like a lot. But I think Austin Reeves is a guy you can plug in just about anywhere. And that, I think, is one of the positives. It's one of the positives on the season is that you look at, all right, Austin Reeves is a guy that you found. And now, Lakers fans were clamoring for this for months. Austin Reeves needs to take over the starting role from Avery Bradley. It appears that we're there. Look, I, I thought at one point Avery Bradley knocked in a couple of threes and I went, oh, Frank's going to keep him in for a while. Frank Vogel is going to keep Avery Bradley because we all know AB is Frank Vogel's guy. He's going to keep him in for a while. Um, and it and he went back to Austin Reeves. And Austin Reeves got 27 minutes. So that, I think, is a positive. But I think we're also at a point, and I've said this before, where with Austin Reeves, it's what's the maximum number of minutes Reeves can handle? Whatever that number is. That's how many minutes he's playing. That That's where we're at. That's where we're at on the season with Austin Reeves. He's become that big of a part of this Lakers team on both ends of the floor. And same thing with Malik Monk. Whatever's the maximum in minutes that they can handle, that's how many minutes they're going to have to play. Because that's where we're at right now. Uh, John Robertson Dio said, instead of supporting their team, LeBron and AD suddenly disappeared with plenty of time still remaining. I did not see that. I, I missed that. It could have been, I was getting ready for the show or whatever. And I missed it. I didn't see if they went to the back or, or whatever. Um, so I, I can't really talk about that because I didn't, I didn't see that happen. Byron McCullough said, Monk and Reeves get bodied by defenders when they attack the basket and rarely get the call. Yeah, I mean, of course, we look back at that play, the end of the fourth quarter, right? End of the game, Monk attacks, gets hit across the arm, no call. Pearl gets the ball, the Lakers foul him. That's pretty much the end of the game. It, there were some rough ones tonight. There were some rough plays where I thought the Lakers should have got a whistle and did not. Um, that's certainly frustrating, especially in a game that wound up being pretty close. But that's also, that's the NBA. You've got to find a way to win those games regardless. <laughs> One of my buddies is a Spurs fan. And when we lived near each other, we always did a bet of uh, the other guy owed the other one a Coke anytime that their team beat the other team. So if the Spurs beat the Lakers, I owed him a, well, we used Dr. Pepper. I owed him, owed him a Dr. Pepper. Or uh, or vice versa. If the Lakers beat the Spurs, then he owed owed me one. When we were working together. So Kyle Olson, I, I owe you a Dr Pepper, man. I'll I'll get it sent over to you. Uh, JV Flores, did Vogel already use his challenge prior to that foul call on Monk? Yes, he used it on a foul that Monk committed. And from what we heard from the broadcast from Billy Mack and Stu Lance, was that what happened was Vogel called the timeout. And as he's telling the refs to challenge, his assistants on the bench were telling him don't challenge. And there was some kind of miscommunication. And so he like accidentally challenged this foul on Malik Monk. That was very clearly a foul on Monk. 
He hit Doug McDermott across the arm. And so because of that, he didn't have his challenge at the end of the game when Monk actually got fouled. And so he didn't get to use it in that moment. Monk would have been shooting free throws if that hadn't happened. And then who knows where we go from there. Monk would have had um, Monk would have had some opportunities to put up a couple points at the line. And then you go from there. Anakin Mohan, should the Lakers spend their mid-level exception on a wing or Malik Monk next season? I think it, it depends on what's going to happen with the rest of free agency, right? You've had you got to have an idea of what your give and take is. And also what happens with Russell Westbrook? Let's say, for example, let's say the Lakers wind up going down a path where Russell Westbrook, they can't find a taker for him. And I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but let's just pretend for a moment. They can't find a taker for him. Every single team wants everything from the Lakers. They want THT. They want multiple first round picks, whatever, in order to part with Russ. And so the Lakers just say, no, you know what? This is too expensive. Let's just stretch him. Let's wave him, stretch his salary. Not good, right? Like as soon as Lou Aldang's off the books, suddenly you've got 16 million almost from Russell Westbrook and dead money sitting on your books. Ron Gutterman earlier today floated the idea of maybe you do a buyout with him and then stretch that. Okay, but regardless, you've got dead money sitting on the books. But maybe that then opens you up to using your full mid-level exception. And that would allow you to, tr to trigger a hard cap because you would have a little bit more room to play with there. It would also open you up to using your biannual exception. So if you go that route, there's some benefits to it. Overall, I think it's a negative. I don't think it's the right path. But if you go that route, does that then open you up to a different tier of free agents or does all that do mean that, that you get to keep Malik Monk? So is there somebody else out there that you can get that's a wing player that's going to be a good fit for you? Or do you decide ultimately, let's give the full 10-ish, 11-ish million to Malik Monk and see if we can hang on to him? That'll be an interesting decision for the Lakers to make, but it's not happening in a vacuum. You can say, Malik Monk, is he worth 10 million? Yes, he's been good. He's been good. You can pay him that and, and feel just fine about the contract moving forward, but who else is out there? Can you get, is there a scoring guard that you can get at a veteran minimum where you can get a better wing player for that $10 million or vice versa? Is Malik Monk simply the best scorer that you can get? And then there's a decent wing that you can get for a veteran minimum. It depends on what other pieces are out there because that's ultimately what you have to do as a GM is put the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, why Hustle 90s Baby said, I think the refs were rigging it for Pop to make sure he gets the W and... I think it's like Frank is afraid to go big. What's the point of having Gabriel? Yeah, so look, I don't think the refs were rigging it for Popovich. Look, there's still plenty of games left in the season for Popovich to get the record. I don't think there that was an incentive or anything. Were there some rough calls? Yes, but you know, it's it's the NBA. We see calls that are questionable all the time. And part of it is just refing an NBA game is extremely difficult because these guys are so big, so fast, it's, it's tough to see exactly what's happening sometimes. It's look, human beings are, are fallible. Our perceptions aren't always correct. And so, and so sometimes I, I empathize with referees because we expect them to get every single call 100% right. And even then, if you ask one fan base what the correct call is and the opposite fan base the, what the correct call is, you know, a lot of times you're going to get two different answers. So even if you're, you're right with the call, there's a decent chance you're still going to have people mad at you. So officiating is not an easy thing. But in this game, I don't think that the officials like changed the outcome here or the officials were blatantly one-sided where there are some bad calls. Yes, but I don't think it was anything malicious or anything of that nature. I've got other people saying it's 100% rigged. To each their own. To each their own.
Uh, Jabari Wilson. Hi, Trevor. Scale of 1 to 10. How confident Russell Westbrook will get traded this summer? So, Jabari, let me say I am 90% confident he's not on the Lakers next season. I'm going to say that. Either by being traded or being bought out. Because of how much smoke there's been around, and maybe this changes by summertime. Maybe this changes by then because you never know in the NBA. But with there's so much smoke right now about the Lakers. Coaches, coaching staff was trying to move Russell Westbrook. They were asking the front office to trade him at the trade deadline. Uh, he's been defiant with coaches, with other players, asking him to change his role. All of this stuff that's been building, not to mention just clearly, it hasn't worked this, this season. LeBron and Westbrook on the floor together hasn't worked. Hasn't worked. So I feel pretty confident saying that he's not going to be a Laker next season. And I don't think he wants to be. And what we've heard is that it's mutual. He would like to go somewhere else as well. So when you've got that mutual interest in Russ and the Lakers both kind of saying, look, this hasn't worked out. Let's part ways. I think 90% Russ is not a Laker next season. Now, that might be via trade. That might be via buyout. Micah, could you imagine if he didn't pick up his option? If Russ just said, I don't want any part of this. I just want to be a free agent. And he were to decline that option. It's never going to happen. It's never going to. He would never decline a $47 million option. But I'm telling you, wherever you live, you would be able to hear people celebrating in El Segundo at the Lakers offices, be, I mean, they would just be going wild if Russell Westbrook declined that $47 million player option. But it's it's never going to happen. He's going to pick it up. The question then becomes, what do the Lakers do with it? Can they trade that $47 million expiring contract in a move that helps them? Or is it just a salary dump? Or do they ultimately wind up waving him and buying him out? Regardless, I think one of those three things will happen and Westbrook won't be on the roster on opening night. Uh, John Roberts Dow said, small ball won't work if you have a surplus of small guards without 6'6 to 6'8 players. Frank is literally just using small ball disaster all the time. I agree in your assessment of small ball. And I think it goes back to, it goes back to when the Lakers won the championship in 2020. And we talked about Frank Vogel's use of small ball there. But here's the thing. When Frank Vogel was going small previously, he was going, and I'm doing air quotes just for anybody who's listening to the podcast version, he was going small. They weren't really that small, okay? Small ball for the Lakers when they won the championship was Markeith Morris at the five. He's what, 6'9", 6'10", LeBron, 6'9", Anthony Davis, 6'11", right? And then, and then, and then Danny Green, 6'6", KCP, 6'5". So the Lakers going small weren't really that small. You're still a pretty big lineup. You're just you're just not running a traditional center like a seven foot JaVale or or a six ten whatever Dwight Howard. You're not running those guys out there. You're running out there a guy who can space the floor but still offers some size, a little bit less less rim protection, right? If you're running Markeith Morris, and then of course to close things out against Miami in 2020, they ran Alex Caruso out there, but still, I mean, he's he can compete defensively. Compare that to the small ball that the Lakers run now. It's truly small ball because you're talking 6'2", 6'3", Russell Westbrook. You're talking 6'2", Malik Monk, 6'4", THT. You know, that's that's what we're looking at. You're actually talking about small ball, not just skill set wise. We're a little bit more versatile on both ends of the floor. That's really what small ball was for the Lakers when they won the championship. And that is why when you look at how they built this roster this season, it's so confusing. They banked so heavily on Russell Westbrook just being at a superstar caliber, and that alone just 
erasing any other issues that were there. When they won the championship, they did it by being bigger and stronger than everybody else, right? Defensively, you had all of these guys that could fly around, that had length, that had size, that could hold their own on the glass, that could box out. You had all these guys that could do that. They went so far away from that in the way they put this roster together this year. Even last year, we saw that kind of size for the team. They went away from it this year, and I think it's really hurt them. I think it's really hurt them. Uh, Mamba mentality. Small ball works if we were to have a player like Draymond. Keep a big in at all times. Play Wenyan Gabriel. We're making every big look like Kareem. Yeah, you know what? Look, Jakob Pertl has had better games against the Lakers. He's been better than this. He did it earlier this season. But 18 and 8 with five offensive rebounds. And a lot of that was just you didn't have anybody who could keep him off the boards because the Lakers were so small. That's that's not ideal. That's not ideal if you are the Lakers and you're assembling this roster. It's not what you want. Somebody said, bring back Dennis. That's the point. That's where all I can do is laugh. We're, we're at the point now where the guy that everybody couldn't wait to get rid of last season, we're now looking and going, you know, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't so bad. All we can do is laugh now. All right. David Vasquez, you had Carmelo on him shaking my head. Yeah, I mean, the gamble for Frank Vogel was Carmelo's floor spacing. Pirtle's not going to be able to get out to him. On the offensive end, you're going to win that gamble because you're going to get Carmelo's threes compared to a two from Pirtle. Ultimately, maybe the math works out and you win it if he gets hot and hits enough of those threes. That's the, the gamble. If you're Frank Vogel, why you do that, you put Melo on him. But it didn't pay off. It didn't pay off in this game. Didn't pay off in this game. Somebody said, oh, Mama Mentality said, bring back Robert Sacre. He was at the game the other night. Uh, he was at the game where the Lakers played the Warriors. So he was all over uh, social media posted about that. All right, let me see what else we've got here. Uh, Mook Morris, THT is horrible all season long and past the trade deadline too. Possible he's gone next season in a trade. Yeah, I think so because we are getting to a point where this offseason, the Lakers don't really contractually have that many guys still that they can stack up. Now you can say Russell Westbrook, like let's say you go to a team that's got some guys whose contracts run past 2023 and you can go to that team and you can say, hey, look, we're going to take these guys that have long-term salary and we're going to give you Russ. He expires this year. We'll take these guys that we think might fit better. Let's do a deal that way. Maybe there's some, there would be some incentive for a team to say, okay, you know what? We're going to free up salary next year by just getting Russell Westbrook. We'll have him for a year. We'll pay him to stay home, whatever we decide to do with him. That could be an incentive. But otherwise, if you're the Lakers and you're trying to go out there and land somebody, let's say somebody else comes up on the trade market that you really want to go get. How are you going to get that guy it's probably just, just in terms of value, you're probably looking at future first, but you still have to send out salary, um, depending on the team that you're sending them to. Uh, well, no, actually you do have to send out salary because the Lakers are going to be over the cap regardless. So you've got to send out salary. Taylor Horton Tucker, he's the only guy on the team that's going to be making about 10 million. Kendrick Nunn, again, we haven't seen him at all this season. I don't know if we will, but those are the only guys that you can really stack up. And this is where not signing Alex Caruso kind of hurts, right? And we talked about this at the trade deadline because you don't have these salaries that are sitting right around that 10 million range to throw into a deal because you used them all. You had KCP at 13 million, Kuzma at 13 million, Trez at 10 million. Those are great salaries to stack up in a deal. And you burned those 
on getting Russell Westbrook. Okay, so now you move off of Westbrook, you try to make other moves, and you don't have those salaries to stack up anymore. So that's where it's a problem for the Lakers, and you almost have to include THT in any deal. So that's not even a commentary on, is THT good, bad? How do we feel about his future? That's just cap logistics. You pretty much have to put him into a deal because of his salary. Somebody said, why the THT uh, hate? He played well tonight. I didn't think that he played that well. Oh my goodness. Somebody said, Trevor is secretly a Clippers fan, low-key dissing the Lakers. Man. All right. You must not have been watching this show for <laughs> long enough. I grew up on the Lakers. I bleed purple and gold. My earliest memory is of the Los Angeles Lakers. I've been around this team for a long, long time. My very first sporting event was Lakers versus 76ers in 1987. And Charles Barkley got ejected for throwing an elbow in that game. And I got to cheer my little head off at the time. I, yeah, th this team, it's in my blood. I'm definitely not secretly a Clippers fan or anything like that. Uh, but as far as why the THT hate, look, I thought for most of, of this game, I thought, eh, I'm going to be getting some negative THT comments. And I didn't see him making a huge impact. I saw a number of times where the Lakers gave him the ball and said, go to work. And he just wasn't successful. He either turned it over, got picked by DeJounte Murray, just struggled scoring the ball. Had a couple of layups that he scored. He did have the nice sequence where you saw like, okay, that's the potential, right? You saw the extendo go-go go go gadget arms reach out, gets a block at the rim, comes down on the other end, hits a three. THT still has potential. I'm not out on Taylor Horton Tucker. It's possible he's just still young. It's possible maybe we put the, the bar a little too high for him. But, but, while I don't hate Taylor Horton Tucker at all, I don't think it's a negative if they bring him back next season. I think if they're going to make a trade, you almost have to use his salary to get it done. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f***ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, let me see what else we've got. Well, let's get into, I guess, the Next Man Up Award. So chat, let me know, coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitter, who should get the Next Man Up Award from this game? So not Russell Westbrook, we already talked about him. Who was the best of the Lakers role players? Let's get into that one here, because I think there's a few different players that we could talk about in this one. So of the Lakers role players, who was it? Let's run through some of the stats here from them. We've got... Carmelo Anthony, who was the recipient last time out, 17 points, seven boards, two blocks, one of four from three, six of 12 shooting. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker finished with 18 points, seven of 14 shooting, one of five from three, four boards, two assists, one steal. Again, thought he came alive a bit in the fourth quarter there. Austin Reeves, 
13 points, six boards, one for one uh, from three. Malik Monk, eight for 22 shooting, didn't have a great shooting night. One for seven from three, but five boards, four assists, three steals, 17 points. I think those are most likely the candidates there. Monk, Reeves, THT, Mello. And again, I don't think overall it was THT's best game tonight, but I'm seeing a lot of people go back and forth. Some people saying Reeves, some people saying Mello. Somebody said Phil Jackson, just to throw him out there. I am going to go, even though, even though he won the award last time, I'm going to go Carmelo Anthony. Again, I think when you look at the Lakers moves for the offseason in general, in general, the veterans haven't paid off. The veterans haven't, it hasn't worked out. Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, uh, all these veteran guys that they brought in hasn't worked. Where have they found success? With mostly the young players, Malik Monk, Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson. The, these are the kind of guys that they've found success with except for Carmelo Anthony. He is, of the veteran players, he's the guy. He's the guy who has hit. He's the guy who I think has been a positive more often than not. I don't know. I don't know what he does this season, this offseason. I don't know. Does he hang him up? Does he decide to go somewhere else? I don't know. I don't know what happens with him, but at this point, I think we can say, Whatever it is that he wants to do, he can do. He's a veteran. He's been in this league for a long, long time. And I appreciate what we've seen out of Carmelo Anthony on a night-in, night-out basis. I would love it if he comes back next year. I'd love to see that happen. I don't know if it will. But regardless, I think Carmelo Anthony is the one veteran signing where we can say, yep, they got that one right. They got that one right. And it's been a long time coming. It felt like the Lakers and Carmelo Anthony were dancing around each other for years. Finally, he becomes a Laker and he is not disappointed. He's been good. Avi B, low tops aside, see any patterns why Anthony Davis gets hurt? I can't say I've really looked at patterns or anything like that um, for, for AD's injuries. I, I thought that both of his major injuries this year were kind of fluke things. A guy falls into his leg. Uh, he lands on somebody's foot. And this wasn't like, you know, I've talked about this before, but it's not like he was jogging down the floor and he tore his quad or something like that. These are injuries that just kind of sometimes happen and are unfortunate when they do, but I didn't see any particular pattern with these injuries from, from Anthony Davis. Vector Nova with the super chat. So THT went from his real rookie season, then going into this season with thumb injury and a changing role. His development is being made difficult by Russ and the expectations were so high. I'm sick of this hate. And you're not wrong as far as the thumb injury and that making an impact, right? We heard that he worked quite a bit on his jumper and that was what the Lakers asked him to do. That was what we all said. The key thing for THT's growth is his three-point shooting. Can he develop a three-point shot? That, that matters probably more than anything else right now for his development. And then he tore a ligament in the thumb of his shooting hand in preseason. That's going to set back your shooting. I think there's that's fair. But yes, the Lakers decided THT was the guy they were going to keep. And then they supported him with probably the worst fit you possibly could by putting him next to Russell Westbrook. Their skill sets, we were even saying before the season, you almost have to try to stagger THT and Russ's minutes because their skill sets are so similar in that teams aren't going to respect them behind the three-point line. They do their best when they're getting to the rim. It's not a good pairing on the floor on paper, and it hasn't really worked out that way either. So there's some truth to what you're saying. Even so, even so, we have to remember the Lakers paid THT to be the guy. They, he's the fourth highest paid Laker. They paid him 
to move into a bigger role. They put that on him. There was all the talk from, not from the media, not from me, not people hyping it up, but from Frank Vogel and from Rob Palenka anointing THT as the team's next defensive stopper and saying that's what his role was going to be and he's going to defend the other team's best perimeter player. That's asking a lot. That's a lot putting on him. Now, has he lived up to that? No, I don't think he has. I don't think he has. So even when, I think you're right in that we can say the expectations were probably too high for him, but even so, I think he's still disappointed compared to what we even reasonably kind of hoped that he would be this season. Now, again, that doesn't mean I'm out on him. I'm still intrigued by the skill set. I still think he can be something in this league. I'm not saying this guy's a terrible player or anything like that. I just think it's been a little bit underwhelming of a season. And perhaps we need to give a little bit more towards the thumb injury, the fit with Ross, that kind of stuff as part of the reason why. Maybe we haven't seen quite what we hope to out of THT. Hopefully there's better to come. Hopefully better years are to come for him. Because again, I think he's a talented young player. Let's see what else we've got here. So somebody said the Lakers need a new coach. Yeah. Um, there was the story. I need, I need to make mention this story came out today that Taylor, that Frank Vogel, there is a path to him staying with the Lakers. There's a path to him staying with the Lakers next season. It's a very unlikely path, but there's a path. And that path, according to a piece by Bill Oram and Sam Amick of The Athletic, is that Frank Vogel needs to get to the second round of the playoffs. That's what he needs to get to. Or or maybe even the Western Conference Finals if they don't look good doing it. Is that likely? No, not likely. Because look, even if they get through the play-in tournament, they probably are going to see the Phoenix Suns in round one. That doesn't bode well for the Lakers and their longevity in the playoffs. So... Is it likely that he gets to round two? No, but it sounds like the Lakers, they have not made their decision completely that, hey, Frank Vogel is gone. Even though most people around the NBA would say Frank Vogel is not making it this year. Within the Lakers, apparently, that's the thinking right now is that, hey, if Vogel goes on a run, if things go well in the playoffs, maybe we keep him around. Now, again, again, is it very likely? No, no, not at all. It is not likely at all that that happens, but apparently that's something that's, that's out there. So just something to consider. All right, let's get into the master lock of the night. So our good friend, Chris, the masterpiece masters, his finishing hold in the wrestling ring is the master lock. So let's talk about what was the most annoying thing from this game tonight. And let's put it in the master lock. Was it a Laker? Was it a San Antonio spur? Was it an official? Was it somebody in the crowd? Whatever. Let me know, chat, what would you put in the master lock tonight? Oh, no, somebody said Zen Master replacing Frank Vogel. Phil Jackson is 76 years old. Part of the reason why he left coaching is he couldn't handle the travel. He wasn't excited about having that much travel. He's 76 now. He's not going to be traveling and doing all that kind of stuff. That's not going to happen. Okay, master lock. Let's see. People are saying master lock Westbrook. Master lock turnovers. Master lock the referees. Master lock Vogel. Master lock small ball. All right. So I'm going to go master lock Frank Vogel in this one. And again, part of that is the 
determination to stay with the smaller lineups, even when you've got a guy like Wendy Gabriel, who in theory can step in and give you some of the size while still having some of the versatility on the defensive end of the floor. I'm not, look, he's bounced around a bunch of rosters. I'm not saying he's this wing savior that's going to come in and fix everything, but you've got that skill set sitting there and clearly the team was lacking it. And then I thought from the get-go, the plan was a bit flawed when we saw Russ off the ball a bit, when in my mind, this is the perfect game to say, Russ, go and whatever happens, happens. And let's go try to make this thing happen with Russ being the best player on the floor. He's not going to do that if the ball's not in his hands. So the early possessions with Russ off the ball didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I'm going to go Frank Vogel on on this one. Um, Part of this, part of his hand was forced by the lack of player availability. But I also think that on the, and this is fair on the season too. We look at teams that are greater than the sum of their parts, teams that have outperformed what you think they would based on the makeup of their roster, based on the talent on their roster. I think we can say the Lakers have underperformed even with the injuries and everything else that's been factored in, I still think they've underperformed on the season compared to expectations based on the talent they still have on the team. And I think that was also true tonight. I think that scheme-wise, all of that, they still could have pulled off a win here with a few tweaks here and there, but unfortunately it just didn't happen. Um, And some of that has to fall on, on Frank Vogel. I'm not saying that, oh, I could have stepped in and coached this team better than Frank. No, Frank Vogel knows way more about basketball than I do. There's no question there. But I think there were some changes that could have been made to give the Lakers perhaps a better chance to win. Maybe it would have brought up a host of other problems. I know a lot goes into Frank Vogel's decision-making, but he's getting the master lock in this one because things did look so, so sloppy out there. And and I think we saw the Spurs' size really cause issues and the Lakers not really make an in-game adjustment to address that. Uh John Robertson Dows with a super chat. Thank you. Appreciate that one. Timothy Lovas refs had some bad calls. Yes, they absolutely did. There were some mistakes. Oh no. Oh no. Earl the Pearl said, I want to fight Frank Vogel. That's how bad it's gotten for some people with, with their, their disdain for Frank Vogel. Uh, as far as the referees go, yeah, there were some tough calls. There were some tough ones, but again, I didn't look at it as anything that was out of the ordinary for NBA basketball. There's rough calls in NBA games all the time. None update. Somebody asked for that. No, no. Um, for Kendrick Nunn, all we know is they're hoping that by the end of March, Kendrick Nunn will be back. But right now we don't know. It's up in the air. It's up in the air at this moment. I would like to see him this season. If nothing else, maybe didn't just give him a little bit of confidence in his knee. If you can get him back, but we'll see every single time they've tried to ramp him up. His knee pain has ramped up in accordance with that. And so that's what it's going to come down to. Can they finally ramp him up this time and have his knee pain not increase? Because if it does, that's it. I, I we're, we're out of time. We're out of it. That One more setback and that's it. The season's probably over for him because you're just, you don't have any more time left in the season. Uh, John Robertson Dow said, Vogel's small ball just makes opponents' players look like all-stars and redeem their swag. Again, part of that, part of that is Frank Vogel is forced into a corner. There's not much else that he can really do, right? There's there's not a lot of options. And, I, and again, I've talked about there's some other guys he could return to tonight. There's some, but it's also not like he's got this full bench stocked of full of NBA all-stars and he's choosing to not play these guys. I think it's funny in that, so every time the Lakers put out their starting lineup, I 
put that out as well. I, I put out the starting lineup. There is no starting lineup that does not get negative comments from Lakers fans or negative reaction from Lakers fans. There is no perfect lineup for the Lakers. There is no, if I go around and I ask 10 Lakers fans, what is the best starting lineup? I'm probably going to get at least five different answers. That's where we're at this season. There is no perfect starting lineup. There's no clear-cut lineup. There's no clear-cut best rotation. Um, a few games ago, Lakers fans were saying, Carmelo Anthony needs to start in the second half. And he did, and the Lakers got blown out in the second half. Sometimes the things that we think are going to work don't necessarily work. So I understand Frank Vogel, he's just trying to find something that works. But this whole season has been tumultuous. Like I said, when we started things out, 32 different starting lineups in 64 games. That That's insane. Absolutely insane. But that's where we're at this season. All right, everybody. I appreciate all of you joining me. Obviously not, not a fun night. Not a fun night like last time. Like last time when the Lakers beat the Warriors. That was a fun night. We got to celebrate a win tonight. Not that night. But the Lakers are taking on the Houston Rockets on Wednesday. Fingers crossed. This Rockets team just beat the Memphis Grizzlies. But hopefully, hopefully the Lakers can get a win against Houston. Hopefully Russell Westbrook looks really good in that. Just in case something comes back up with that John Wall thing. Um, I, I'm kidding. I don't know if that's really going to happen. But... Hopefully the Lakers can get a win against Houston because it's so important that they win the winnable games right now on their schedule because there's not a lot of them. There's a lot of tough opponents on their schedule and it's important that they get the W's. Losing this one to the Spurs definitely hurts. Got to get this win on Wednesday against the Rockets. All right, everybody. Till next time, stay safe and see ya.